Meow. This is Tanya Todd, writer, producer, and soon-to-be director of Morning Sacrifice, a tragic romance where a vampire poses as a detective to help the woman he loves search for her missing husband. This sensuous detective noir short film explores how even the most altruistic love can turn monstrous. If this story strikes a titillating nerve, or if you simply love vampires, consider contributing to our crowdfunder at seedandspark.com. Funding for this film is supported in part by Nevada Arts Council and National Endowment of the Arts, but we still have a long way to go. Check out our enticing incentives. Pick the choice that excites you most. Join me, and we shall make a dark and delicious love story. That's Morning Sacrifice at seedandspark.com. Meow, and welcome to Banned Books Conversations, where radical readers discuss prohibited prose. I'm your host, Tanya Todd, and we're here to talk about banned books, literary works that have been removed from a library shelf or school curriculum. Over the course of Banned Books Week, this series will cover seven different books, the reasons they were banned, and the value in reading them. Today's book is 19 Minutes by Jody Picoult. I should warn listeners, there will be spoilers ahead, but before we get to that, let's meet today's Radical Readers. Heather, please introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about what you do. Hi, my name is Heather. I am the co-founder of So She Slays, which is a women's empowerment platform. Um, Yeah, we have a really nice social following, an editorial site, and two podcasts of our own. And Lisa? I'm Lisa Rain. I write action adventure and contemporary historical and historical romance. I'm also a certified English language arts teacher for high school who taught language arts for six years in between my stint as a lawyer and as a published author. So literature kind of kind of in my sweet spot. And Gregory. Hi, I'm Gregory Compass. Uh, I'm an author uh, and uh, teacher of writing. I currently teach at SNHU in their MFA program, which I helped them design in, when it first started. So I'm very proud of that work. And I also run the writer workshop, uh, doing small workshop groups to offer feedback and uh, education for writers. So Lisa, we'll start with you on this. I'm curious, what is it about the banned books conversation that interests you? You said you're a lawyer, you're a teacher, you're a writer. I'm also a childhood book geek, basically. I was that kid who'd rather be in my room reading a book than outside with everybody else. And books for me, someone who grew up in a single parent household, were a way for me to get to know more of the world that I wouldn't get to see in person. It was a way to travel. It was a way to get to know more people. It was exciting for me. And the notion that someone is going to tell me what I could and could not access at a public library or at my school would have really just pissed me off, to be to be honest. Um, it, it's one thing for you to decide you don't want to read that book or it's not the book for you. It's another thing to tell other people that they can't read the book. Don't like being told what to do. And I don't think anyone really should have that power over someone else. Just don't pick up the book. Do you feel comfortable sharing your shirt with us? 
<laughs> tell her like, okay, let me get my microphone out of the way. Fan bigots, not books. Love it. <laughs> and what about you, Heather? What brings you to this conversation? Um, I think, I mean, much, much like you said, Lisa, I, I have never, I was never as big of an advocate of reading growing up because I always had, um, reading comprehension problems. And so I always had to go to like special tutoring in order to like learn how to read and really understand it. Um, but once I got the, the knowledge of like, it was playing a movie in my head, I couldn't like stop Mm. it. So after I learned that that was the trick for me to remember the story, I started picking up all sorts of different books and just haven't really stopped since. <laughs> Gregory? Um, well, the the banned book thing is, it really hits home for me. Um, as a gay queer author, um, but as, a, as just a gay queer person, growing up, I never saw myself on the pages of books ever. I did not get to read any books when I was a kid that had people like me. Nothing, not a single one. Not until I was in my twenties mm-hmm. did I finally discover gay literature. Um, and and even though I don't think they were officially banned from our school library or from our local library, they just weren't stopped. You know, there was sort of this silent policy. Um, so. I write books with queer characters who are just queer. Like they're not there to make a statement. They just are. They're just living their lives on the pages of my stories. Uh, and, and so it infuriates me when people like me, young people like I was, don't have an opportunity to see themselves on the pages. And we were making great strides um, until very recently. But and there was an announcement today. They're, they're pulling all the LGBTQ plus literature from the uh, Florida schools, all of it. Every single book is coming out. It's infuriating to me. So um, whenever I have an opportunity, I raise my voice. Um, I speak, I talk, um, and I live very out. Um, my husband and I have been together for 23 years. And, you know, every once in a while you get that, your partner, or you no, he's my husband. Right? I use the words because people need to hear the words. And we need to see ourselves in the world that we live in. Um, so I'm very passionate, I guess, about, about that. And as a teacher of writing too, um, encouraging voices to write their, write their truth, write their story, have their experience as writers as well. It's so important. And I remember when you were president of Henderson Writers Group that anti-censorship was also a passion of yours. That's where I started. The very first meeting I took over, um, I, I announced that's where we were going and we were, we could talk about it. Um, I was happy to talk about it, but Um, I wasn't going to allow anybody to make a writer feel uncomfortable because of what they were writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we lost some members over that, but that's was the journey. Um, And, and uh, you know, I was elected. So, um, you know, they knew me and, um, and, and and then the group started to really flourish uh, with the people who, who stuck around and then we added a lot. So um, yeah, it's something. Something Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm just not a, I'm an anti-censorship in any form person. So on that uh, note, I want to stick with you, Gregory, and look at the other side of this. Have you ever had an experience with a book that offended you? And if so, how did that affect you? I've had lots of books that I find offensive, lots of them, um, that I don't like the content, that bother me. The Bible, for example, really bothers me. Um, 
it's fine that it's there. I think it's an interesting piece of literature um, and history, but but it's not my cup of tea. You know what I mean? Uh, I have complained at a few hotels <laughs> that I've walked into where there's still a Gideon Bible. Um, and I've taken it down to the desk and just said, I don't want this anywhere near me. It's offensive. Uh, but at the same time, I would never say ban a book because I don't like it ever. Um, I think I think I, I try to read things I, that bother me anyway. I try to encourage people to read banned books. It's the same sort of the same thing. Um, I want to see how the world works. Right. So I read literature um, that comes up on lists and that sounds interesting and that people are talking about. So I'm well informed. I try not to read too much in a bubble, although I do lean a little left. So I do tend to re read a little bit to the left. But um, but that's, you know, that's who I am. But no, I, I just don't think any book should ever be banned for any reason. Um, and I people think it's important to note that the Bible is one of the most banned books in history. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, you know, Lisa made the comment about um, if you don't like the book, don't pick it up. Mine is if you don't like the book, just put it down. You don't have to read it. You don't have to read it. And that's OK. You can make a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially we live in a capitalist society. We make choice all the time where we spend our money, all of those things. Right. That's how we operate. Um, so pick it up. If you don't like it, put it down, but don't keep others from picking it up. Right. Yeah. We all have the right to pick up whatever book we want to. Yeah. What about you, Heather? Have you had an experience with a book that offended you? Um, well, much like Gregory, I kind of, I grew up in a very um, religious dynamic environment, meaning, you know, my mom is Mormon. My dad is Taoist. I grew up down the street from a Sikh temple and I went to a Lutheran private school. Mm -hmm. So I was all over the map when it came to religion. So the Bible is probably one that I just, I don't give it much weight. I don't, I don't, I understand intention. Sure. Okay. Uh, you're giving guidelines, but yes, definitely. Gregory, I agree with Gregory. Um, I also just finished another book, um, the power It was turned into a Hulu series and it, it's very encapsulating of what is happening right now. And it's as if women were to get back or were to be the only ones with a certain type of power and what the world does mm -hmm. in reaction to that. And like in societies and cultures and how people are hunted, but then how some women turn feral and like end up, you know, doing the same things that were done to them, but like to men. And it's so crazy but at the end of that book, I don't want to spoil it in case anybody wants to read it, but highly recommend it. But I was angry at the end of that book. <laughs> I was not happy. Um, and I definitely closed it and threw it on my bed. And I was like, done with that. <laughs> so it was, it's a whole, whole emotion right there. So offensive, but still worth reading. It, it was offensive, but yes, absolutely worth reading. And I would say only because if this were to actually happen, it's insane to see the shoe on the other foot. Um, yeah, it's a really good perspective piece. So I would definitely recommend it. It's called The Power. Lisa? It sounds like she's saying it was offensive, but thought-provoking. Yes. Yes, it was absolutely both. And there's something about that thought-provoking aspect of things. And I will say funny being a comparative literature major and a English teacher that a lot of the classics I actually find offensive and when we had to pick classic literature 
for our class to read. There were certain books that have been taught for years before I showed up on the scene that I refused to teach. Um, and their names you've heard of mice and men. And, you know, I had several teachers who loved TJ, but I'm like, I'm not going near that book with a 10 foot. But why? I said, because I don't want to deal with the white savior and the glossing over of racism and the, right? Um, and I, I also have a certificate in African-American studies and taught African-American history. So there's things I understand about that history timeline that people who simply studied those books in high school, it's a perspective they don't have because they weren't taught it. And they don't know the history. And if they're in places like Florida where they think AP, right, African-American studies is made up history, right? They don't understand the background. And for me, this notion that there was anything redemptive, right, about slavery or anything redemptive about whites thinking they saved people during Jim Crow and a racist society, I find offensive. Do I think people need to stop reading the book? No. If you're going to read it and have a conversation with me, we can have that conversation. That doesn't mean I need to teach the book. It just means we can have a conversation about the issues and I can explain to you why I won't teach the book, right? But would I ban it? No, because I think for some people, it may be thought provoking. What if somebody picks that book up and that's the book that, angers them so much, they start to go research more about that period. There's a benefit in that. There's a benefit to people getting upset about literature because it often makes them go face something that's real in the world. Mm. Excellent. I was just at the Authors Guild um, conference this past weekend, the WIT conference um, up in Lenox, Mass, which was a, a very nice event. And, and, and what was so interesting at one of the, during one of the panel discussions, it was all Q and A, um, people being interviewed and things. It was all panels. And, and, um, one of the things that was interesting that came up was the discussion of Huckleberry Finn. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a, a woman on the panel who took the same stance. I won't teach Huckleberry Finn, um, a white woman, um, actually. And, and the woman of color who was on the panel said, but the best thing you could do is teach Huckleberry Finn and have an honest conversation about how Jim is treated, right? Of how he was treated in that time period and what the expectations were and how he's, he was abandoned at the end of the novel and how at the time that was okay, but now it's cause for a discussion. It isn't about banning the book. It's, it should be about having a conversation about what's in the book, right? And how times have changed and how our values have changed. So it's a very good approach, right? It isn't about banning. It's about opening up the conversation and being honest, right? Being honest about what's on the pages. Well, Heather, we'll start with you this time. Is there a scenario in which you feel banning a book is the correct course of action? I want to say my initial instinct is no, just because it opens the door to such, you know, I, I mean, a slippery slope it really does and I feel like of course there are books out there that I disagree with and that I absolutely cannot stand um but I mean I feel like it's up to everybody else to decide you know whether they want to pick pick up or put down a book or you know educate themselves on certain things um I feel like you should have that choice and that choice shouldn't be taken from you how about you Lisa 
That's a hard one for me. I think there are books that are based off of lies and misinformation that it probably would be best if they weren't published. But then where do you draw the line, right? Because there's going to be something that I love or I think should be told or I think should be in a book. Then if someone uses that exact same argument to ban that book I think is worthwhile, then are we just, right? Are we just substituting someone's opinion for someone else's? Mm -hmm. um, I think there are some books that probably do more harm than good. But I'm going to go to a movie here and it's because I'm a movie, but, but there's a movie called The American President. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. And there's a section in there where he talks about America being advanced citizenship, where you have to allow someone to stand up and shout at the top of their lungs something you disagree with for the right to be able to do the same thing, right? And I kind of look at that as where we're at in banning books. If you want to write it and publish it, that's fine. I have a right to not like it. I have a right to petition against it. I have a right to go on a campaign that says it's lies and misinformation. But I shouldn't ban that book unless I'm ready to let you ban one that I love, right? And and I'm not ready to go there. How about you, Gregory? No. Nope. <laughs> I don't think there's ever a reason to be a book. Just that simple. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I embrace the First Amendment. I, I think we all have a right to to write our opinions, write our ideas, write our stories the way we want to. Um, it's in the Constitution, and and thankfully it's there. And and uh, so no, I don't I don't think banning a book is the way. I think I think I'm, I'm right with with Lisa the idea that if I don't like something, I can write a bad review. I can talk about it. I can do other things or not. Right. I mean. I just, I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in banning books ever. So we've talked a little bit about the slippery slope already. Lisa, how does that concept fit in with the desire to ban books? Kind of what I was just saying is like, once you start, then you have to decide how far that goes. And more likely than not, it's going to go further than you want it to go and then turn around and bite you in the bottle. Um, and it, that slippery slope concept also comes from laws. Like when we pass laws and make decisions, like we can't let something go too far because then how far do we really want to let it go when it gets to this instance or the next instance or the next instance? So once you start banning books, once you start banning curriculum, once you start banning anything, it's easier to ban the next thing. And, you know, um, Gregory already brought up Florida, right? They started with one thing. Now they're going for the next thing. Now they're pulling the next. Like they're going to keep going because once they get the first thing, how far they can go and how fast they can get there, it increases over time. What are your thoughts, Heather? No, I completely agree. I it <laughs> There's no stopping it. I mean, when you're giving yourself permission and once you give yourself permission, what's to, what's to stop you from banning or doing anything else that doesn't align with who you are or your business or your, you know, political views or, or, or whatever it may be? There's no stopping it. Once you allow that to 
happen, you're done. That it, it, there, it's like an all or nothing type of thing for me. Um, as soon as you say, okay, there you go. I mean, you're, you're it. That's it. Gregory. Yeah, I don't know. I live in Georgia. So I live in a state that's actually passing almost all the same laws Florida has passed. They're just doing it very quietly and there's no press. <clears throat> um, teachers here are not allowed to say the word gay. They're literally not allowed to say the word gay in the classroom. Not allowed. They can lose their jobs if they if they use certain words. Um, things are in an extreme place. Uh, there was a guest author recently that did make the paper. It made the national news and then it got picked up locally. It wasn't covered locally first. But um, a, a guest speaker came in um, and I don't have, I can't remember all the names, but he was talking about um, a gay, an artist who was gay who did um, comic books. Tanya will laugh because that's why I don't know who, who all the names are because I'm not a comic <laughs> reader um, like she is. But 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 he was here and he's promoting a book that he co-created with somebody else. And they were asking about a character. And because the, the creator, the artist was gay, he created these gay characters in this book. And they had they sent out an apology to the parents of the students who were in the assembly that the word gay was used and an artist was referenced as gay within a discussion. And they did not know that that was going to be said. And they reprimanded the man who said it and said he cannot be invited back into any of the schools in Georgia. Um, I mean, that's how extreme things are. Right. So um, and they're banning books just like Florida and they're pulling books off shelves just like Florida and Texas. So, um, you know, these things just keep happening and happening and happening. And and there's only so much you can protest. Right. I mean, we have day jobs, too. Right. We have things we have to do. But there's only so much you can protest. And, and it's everywhere and it's overwhelming. And it's this huge it's a beyond slippery slope. I mean, we're in an avalanche position in the South with what's going on um, with the rule of law and um, the idea of not just banning books, but like I said, banning language, um, uh, censoring language in the classroom um, and threatening people's jobs with with uh, with with people who act out against it or, you know, try to be rebel or whatever. So um, I think we're, we're beyond slippery slope in some parts of the country. I mean, it's that mountain's coming. It's coming down on us. Um, it just is. And it's overwhelming. It's terribly overwhelming. So I have to admit, it was nice to be up in the Northeast for the weekend and be surrounded by the liberal intelligentsia. I forgot they existed. It's been so long since I lived in New York. Um, and it was nice to get a little bit of that energy where they said some things on stage and I sort of looked around waiting for a reaction. I went, oh, wait, these are my people, you know, <laughs> this is a safe space to talk about the liberal, the liberal ideal. So anyway, I think, I think we're beyond the slippery slope. It's gone. We're, it, it, the mountain is coming down, I'm coming down on us right now. You said something interesting, which is that it's being done quietly there. And I think it may even be more dangerous. I mean, the, the reason it's quiet is because there's no one announcing it so that they're patting themselves on the back because they want to run for president. But it's more dangerous if it's quiet because then people don't know to act against it. They don't know right. to protect themselves. Right, exactly. Until it's already, already law. I mean, you right. know, all of these Republican leadership groups um, in the southern states just they just pass and pass and pass these bills now. Mm -hmm. and, and they and they've taken you know, it isn't just Florida because it's happening all over the country in a lot of Republican states um, with Republican governors. Um, this is the agenda. Right. And it's being played out now because there is momentum. Um, mm -hmm. It is what people are doing. And if they could do it in Florida, we can do it here, too. I and mean, I think that's that's part of what this is all about. So. so speaking of that agenda, in recent years, there's been a pattern in the themes of books that get banned. 
Heather, what do you think this pattern says about where we are as a society? That we're going backwards. <laughs> um, like, I, I have never been in such a position to witness just how drastically things can can move backwards. It is astounding. I mean, Jeffrey, just to hear about what's happening in Atlanta, like I'm in, I'm in LA, I'm in California. So we're, we're way on the other spectrum of this. And just to hear about it, like, I, I didn't even know that that was happening down there. And I mean, I guess the theme of the banned books is just anything that doesn't agree with me. Mm -hmm. Anything that I don't want, you know, anybody else to know, which is scary considering the lack of information that you're then giving to our youth in order to learn and make decisions on their own in order to have understanding now to un and this is the thing it's like you know i i understand where they're coming from i don't agree i mean i grew up in the country in northern california there's definitely not a lot of liberal people up there um but I understand their train of thought, but I also understand just how small their world is. Now, not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing or anything like that, because some people choose that and they like it and that's fine. Um, but it really, when you start banning books and you start taking points of view and, and stories, you take opportunities of understanding away from people. You take opportunities of growth. And then you start wondering, well, why are you doing that? What are your thoughts on this, Gregory? Well, the one of the words the right has been using over the past uh, two or three years, it's been really forward. I'm sure it goes back further than that, but it's been very forward is the word indoctrination, that they're they're fearful that their kid might read a gay book and become indoctrinated into queer life. And, and of course, it's exactly the opposite. What they're doing is indoctrinating their own children into their narrow belief system um, and making sure they won't be exposed to anything else in the world that might have them question that authority and those ideas and the beliefs. And, um, you know, and so it's that word that so much of when they point fingers out in their media blitzes, it really is they're talking about themselves and what they're trying to do with with the people around them. So it, 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 it's silencing ideas to maintain that narrow minded, small world view. Um, I, I, yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they say they're fighting indoctrination, but what they're doing is maintaining their own level of indoctrination. Lisa, I'm guessing you have thoughts on this. Yeah, I agree. I, I will also say that other than the recent attacks on codified law, that a lot of this behavior is not recent. It's been around a long time. It just wasn't talked about as much. And we're in this society where with the types of social media and video and how quickly news can travel now on the internet and so forth, we're hearing about it more often and people who are opposed to it are going, look what they're doing, look what they're doing, look what they're doing. And people who think they're doing good and probably running for office, right? Are going, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing. It's been done before. What's new is trying to find ways to codify 
the racism or codify their way of preserving their indoctrination of their children and their community and to lash out and pretend that learning history is indoctrination. These are facts. They're not going anywhere. So teaching them is a threat to them because we often hear those expressions, right? Like knowledge is power. Well, no, knowledge is power when you do something about it. And what happened is Blacks got a voice. Gay people got a voice. They started showing up on television. <gasps> they started showing up on shows. They started getting books published. And they were like, well, we wanted to give them an opportunity. We didn't want to give them that much opportunity. So now they're like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not what we meant. We got to back this up. And I think that's really what's happening. It's like, oh, we don't need them to get that much equity, right? And one way to do that is to stop the flow of information. And that's why book banning and curriculum banning and changing what you can get at the public library is so at the forefront of this movement. So Gregory, you're a teacher. Tell uh -huh. us the value in reading books that may be considered offensive by some. Well, I, it's this whole conversation, right? It really is about expanding your mind. It is about learning about how other people live um, and, and what's at stake in the world and um, having an opportunity to see yourself on the page, having an opportunity to see other people on the page. Um, I've learned so much about lots of different cultures and ethnicities, lots of parts of the world that I would have never been able to visit. You know what I mean? Um, so so it, it opens up ideas and conversation and dialogue. And and I think I think we're right in the core of it here, right? It's that idea of um, when you when your mind expands, you begin challenging ideas. And when you challenge the ideas you were raised with, um, you break them down and move forward in the world in a different way. I, I agree totally with Lisa. This is not new. This is old. Our country has been doing it before it was a country. This has been going on for hundreds of years, um, right? The idea of, of keeping people out of power, keeping power away from people. Mm -hmm. And the, the pendulum swung very far and very fast with Obama as president. Um, and and this is that extreme response to that. Like, whoa, 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 we got to slow this way down, way the fuck down. We got to slow it down because we can't have all these people have rights. And I think there's also those numbers of um, whether, you know, within within another 25 to 30 years, America will no longer be a white dominant society. And, and that has the white people scared to death that they're going to be treated the way they've treated everybody else. I mean, I think Heather's the book Heather brought up, The Power, is exactly right. I mean, they're scared of that because they've treated the whole world pretty terribly. So if the white people are going to get it, right, and I'm an old white guy, you know, I have the gay moniker, but I'm still an old white guy, right? But there's so much fear of that. So, so I think the idea of the liberal education and why the word liberal and woke, why those words are so horrific now um, to the right is because when you, when you read, you expand your mind and you ask questions and you challenge the authority that exists. And, um, and that's, that's a problem for a lot of people in power right now to be questioned. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of reading and a big fan of helping people read. And I taught um, at Nevada State College, I taught English comp. And so I used to, I used to have some ask questions and survey my students. And, and one of the things I've been noticing is fewer and fewer high school students actually have to read complete books. It's just not part of the curriculum anymore. Um, 
you know, and I don't care what the book is, but kids should be reading books because if you read books, then you're more likely to read books in the future. You become a reader. Um, but if you're never asked to actually read any long form fiction, then then you you don't have the capacity to read long form fiction and therefore bring in bigger ideas and broader ideas and thoughtful moments. Um, and, and we talk about educators talk about the fact that that kids no longer have the attention span because of media and social media and the phone and whatever. But that's not the reason. They're just not being asked and trained to do the job of reading long form fiction. I, you don't start to see it books anywhere hardly anymore in school. So I, all of that stuff is connected. Right. We all read books. Well, I'm older than many of you, but but we all read books growing up. We had we had to whether we liked them or not. Right. We were tested on it. So we there were discussions. We would read books over whole semesters and have discussions for whole semesters. And right. And, and there just isn't there isn't very much of that happening now. So we're not teaching our young people to be readers. So Heather and I look shocked right now. Lisa, you <laughs> surprised. No, no, because high school language arts teacher. And I'm a reader and I know the best way to teach kids to read or to get kids to read or to increase comprehension and increase writing skills is to read. So I implemented sustained silent reading at the beginning of my classes. And when I first got there, teachers were horrified. You know, the administration's not gonna let that go. And I would have administrators walk in and they're giving me advice. Like, you can't just have kids sitting there reading. That's the most important thing they can do. And I would have to justify it. And unfortunately for them, trained lawyer, right? I could justify it. And so they were like, well, okay, then, okay, carry on, right? And slowly other people picked it up. But the thing is, when it comes to, you know, what Gregory was talking about, when I was young, I'm, I'm older than I look, <clears throat> but um, right. We would have that book. And actually I went to a private girl school. So we had to read several books in a semester and you talked about it in class and you had to do an analysis paper and you had to understand the themes and the issues and the care and they limit the books you can teach as whole class reading. There's actually a list of approved and disapproved books that are approved and disapproved pretty much by an administration or a school board, most of whom have not actually read the books. So I'm like, how do you make this? You haven't read the books. How can you make this decision? And the thought that kids don't have time to read an entire book, they need to be doing something more important. It's the most backwards approach to education I can think of, because the most important thing they can be doing at school is reading and analyzing what they read. And he's right. And it's changing. It's getting harder and harder for teachers to have kids sit and read a book or to assign an entire book as part of course curriculum. Heather, what are you shook talking? right now? I am just shook. I don't what? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't even know where to start in that entire spiel. We just we just had I mean where do we go from there? Like if teachers can't, I mean, I grew up having to, you know, chapter by chapter, you know, every night that was part of my language arts. We would come in, I would have to write a book report. I would have to, you know, pick a side quote unquote, and then defend my side. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like one of the things, I mean, I was definitely a language arts kid 
in school that I mean I was horrible at math and biology and all the all the other things but language arts was my jam and so to hear this I mean I am a huge I'm a big writer I love writing um you know I've kept a journal since I was like eight years old so it's developed over time and and being able to tell stories, being being able to even just verbally like communi- verbally communicate and and have an argument and defend your stance, that all comes from from reading. It, it that all comes from communication. And to say that kids don't have time anymore, if they can sit on the phone and scroll through, you know, Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok, they have plenty of freaking time. This is my thing: is they they have too much time too much time like mm-hmm. give them some freaking books to read so they can educate them i cannot y'all got me fired up right now <laughs> good good yes. yeah, there's, there's all kinds of these things that are happening in education that the general public just isn't aware of but the but the truth is and 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 lisa knows this better than me because she she lived k through 12 um I, I got out i was like oh i can't do this um for a living i can't be told what to do like this but but the the idea of where do we go from here? But it's as easy as a new curriculum being thrown at the teachers, which they throw new curriculum at teachers all the time. And within a few grades, it's a whole different experience, right? We think it's this big, longer thing, but in a lot of ways, it's not. You can change third grade or fifth grade or eighth grade curriculum within a season or two, right? Mm-hmm. Of people having a determination that we're going to change the curriculum. Um, so it, so it's, it's so doable, right? And it's how things got the way they are. Right. School boards decided kids aren't reading these books anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so 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 people who are more liberal and more interested in education in that way, being elected to school boards, that's how things change. That's that's how things have changed throughout the decades. Um, right. So, I mean, there, th- this can be flipped pretty easily so long as there's there's a desire. Right. An interest and momentum. I really believe that. I don't think it's the end of the world. Lord knows this is not nearly as bad as things have been in this country. So um, at any given time, right? So so things can change. There, it isn't it isn't all doom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's hope. There's always hope because it because it does change faster than than we give it credit for, or it can. Um, it can, right? And we're here. We're fighting. We're doing the work. Yeah, but I but I think you know all these presidential um, initiatives, no child left behind, which was terrible for education, um, right? Really shifted things. But a president with the right motivation can come in and do do something very similar and get a few laws passed and change the entire goal set of goals for for the education system in the United States, right? It really just takes a leader. It really just takes a leader who, with an agenda, who, who says enough. It's time to do something different, you know. You putting your name out there, Gregory, for president? I am not. I, I'm not, really <laughs> not doing it. Not going on a school board. I don't. I, yeah, I, yeah. I have other things I need to do. But um, but last words. <laughs> well, but no. But I think I think I think engaged parents are the people to do it, right? If you if you've got a, a one year a first grader or a second grader and you don't like how things are going, now's the moment. Throw your hat in the ring and get involved and do something that's going to change the future for your kid. I mean, that's how things change. Right. Someone who's directly invested. And if you have kids in a school system, you're invested mm-hmm. right, in the outcome. So I'm going to push that into somebody else's quarter. <laughs> but Lisa, what effect should an author's intentionality versus the reader's interpretation have when discussing book bans? 
Nothing. Nothing. If we're not going to ban the book, his intent doesn't matter where it's for good or for harm, whether they intended good and did harm or whether they intended harm. And you can't ban the book. Now, maybe that's part of the conversation. Um, And I will say this because since I write romance, there's been a lot of little political things going on in romance. Um, one of which deals with people who aren't from the same culture or ethnicity or have the same health issue or whatever, writing characters that have issues, race, ethnicity, health issues outside of who they are. And often authors take this on and do a bad job, <laughs> right? And then they're like, well, I meant well. And, and this, so there's that conversation of, well, but did you really do your research? Or did you even evaluate if maybe you shouldn't have taken on that topic and you shouldn't have written it, right? Um, I will never tell an author not to write a book you say you want to write, but I will say you have to evaluate your goal in writing this book. Is it to say, hey, look how great I am, I'm going to put this character in my book that's black and I don't know. I've never talked to a black person more than 10 minutes in my life. Right. You like think about it. But once you do it, the book is out there and people's response to the book is people's response to the book. And as much as your intention can be a part of the conversation, I don't think it can be used to decide whether or not the book should be banned. Um, intentionality is great, but those of us who do the equity work or the inclusivity work know that there's intention and then there's impact and we can't ignore the impact because somebody had a good intention. We just can't. Gregory. Right. I'm, I'm what Lisa said, <laughs> really, I, I seriously, I, I, um, I, I've said this before. I've said this on panels. I've sat on with Tanya. I think anybody should be allowed to write any book they want to write to create any characters they want to create. Um, we're authors. And, and if, if, if I can only write about old white gay men, I'm really limited um, in my choices um, and in my output and, and, and in my goals. Um, part of the joy of writing, I think, is research and, and um, getting to know other worlds and other people and other places. Um, I would also say the same thing, like, you know, if you're going to write, write a black character, absolutely. Like do your research, get feedback from what you've written from people of color to make sure you got it right. And you got it as well, good as you could possibly get it. Um, but I, I think the same thing can be said if you're writing about Chicago, if you've never been to Chicago, you can't write about Chicago or LA or San Francisco or Des Moines or Cleveland or anywhere, right? You have to, you have to go to those places. Um, you have to do your research. You have to know, which streets intersect, you know? I mean, you have, you have to know what the weather's like. You, you have to do the research. And, and I think so, and, and I think places are like characters in books anyway, but, but it's the same. So if you're gonna write somebody who's outside of your experience, whatever that is, do your research, right? I, as far as intention and response, I think, I think the best thing we have is response, right? Do the best you can, write the best book you can. The audience is gonna let you know whether it worked or not in the mm -hmm. end, um, either through reviews or comments, um, being banned um, or or um, <laughs> praised or the book simply dying on the vine because people don't want to read it because it's so terrible, um, right? I mean, there are all kinds of choices with that. So, Heather, yeah, I, I was at the um, Saints and Sinners Writers Conference in the spring, 
And many of the panelists and, and faculty members, their books have been banned all over the country because they're all queer, gay, lesbian, right? right? And um, transgender, a lot of transgender stuff was banned before all this other stuff caught up. And, um, and, and what started to happen is it became a thing throughout the whole weekend where people would say, and this book has been banned here or there. The audience would applaud because that means you're doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. If you're writing a book that's getting banned, then, you, then you're doing the work. But you have, to, you have to be true to the character and true to the, and the identity, I think. That should be the intention, in my opinion. Heather? No, I mean, I completely agree. I, the same thing kind of goes, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the entertainment industry, so I work with scripts and, and productions and video, and it's the same thing. I mean, you would never dare, well, some people dare. <laughs> some people <laughs> right? dare. Um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to write a script that is so detached. You wouldn't want to tell a story that is so detached from the actual truth of somebody or something or someplace or, you know, that just, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it definitely goes back to the research. It definitely goes back to, and I, I always too, cause there's been a few scripts that have come across my table and they're asking for feedback. And, you know, one example is, is a white man who is writing a Kung Fu story and all this kind of stuff. And so we have the discussion, hey, what qualifies you to write this type of a story? Not that I'm pushing back, but it's just an honest question because as someone of Asian descent who actually studied martial arts and all this kind of stuff, what qualifies you? And so we had the discussion. And then, you know, then we talked about his characters a little bit more and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, at the end of it, I was like, okay. And then, you know, he he did ask and he was just like, you know, can can you just review? much 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 like we already talked about can you just review give me your opinion is am i off base am i right same thing with like women with with men who write things about women um there's been times where i've handed a, where i've been handed a script and i was like a woman would never say this ever and he would be like really what okay <laughs> okay what would they say and then there we go we open up the the, the topic and and then we talk about it um but it's just being able to you can write what it is that you want to write and have the intention but have your check and balances too yeah i'm currently listening to um the McM the um the metropolitan affair um by i believe it's mcmanus and and it, so it's written by a woman and the men all sound like women to me mm. right i think it goes other right all these tra these these roads all go both ways right yes it's like a tough detective would never sound like that he just wouldn't if he's a tough detective, right? I'm, yeah. That's Even fair. if he's in love with her, he wouldn't talk like that. Right. right. <laughs> you know? Or he'd have a response to talking like that. You know, there would be. Right. He'd have a reason for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There'd be motivation. This doesn't sound like me, but it's how I'm feeling at the moment, you know? <laughs> right. I can't believe I'm feeling this way. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So we do want to get to today's banned book. Published in 2007, 19 Minutes follows the unfolding of a high school shooting, including the events leading up to the incident and the aftermath. It was Jody Picoult's first book to debut at number one on the New York Best Time Seller list. Lisa, how did you first learn about this book? This book has been on my radar for a while, um, in part because I'm, I really like Jody Picoult's books. Um, I don't always read them when they first come out because she deals with some really heavy issues. 
But what she does well, I think, is put the issues out there through the characters and leaving it up to the reader to decide whether what's going on is good or bad. Like she doesn't give you one way or the other. It's like, here's the characters, here's their flaws, figure it out. And when I first took over my classroom, there were books that had been left out in the pod in the library. And part of them were small collections of books that were like two or three copies that they had been using for book club. And this was one of the books. And I read the back and thought, oh, this would make a really good um, book circle discussion where the kids in the class usually have 25 to 30, four or five kids pick the same book, but everybody, every group is reading a different book, but they're doing the same type of analysis with the book and then they share out. And so I thought I got to get more copies. So half price book sale or something, I bought a lot more copies and then never really used it for a book. Like nobody really picked it and I didn't push. So I never really read the book myself because I was going to do it as part of the book club. But then earlier, well, end of last year, earlier this year, when they started banning this book all over the place, again, I thought, I never did read that book. I need to read that book because having taught in a high school and having gone through active shooter drills every year at the beginning of the school year, I thought I need to read this book. And I just never did. So when it was on your list, I'm like, I got to be on the panel for this book. I need to read this book. I'm finally going to read this book. Um, and so it was just it was a chance for me to read something I'd been intending to read and hadn't gotten to. Yeah, you were pretty quick to choose this one too. <laughs> Heather, how did you first hear about it? Um, well, from you, because <laughs> you proposed it a part of our list. Um, and so I read the synopsis of it and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I have ne nephews that are getting ready to go into high school and, you know, we, so she slays gets to partner and talk and do a lot of youth outreach and all that kind of stuff. So I figured, um, you know, and I also was in school during the time of, you know, active shooter drills and like that kind of stuff. So to me, I've always found it very interesting and, and kind of like, uh, Lisa, you said that they do, you know, the writer Jody does a really good job at kind of just presenting these these characters and like and and what they're going through. I've always kind of felt that with you know sh shooters and and like people mm. that are going through this as far as like understanding again not agreeing or anything like that, but it's like understanding trains of thought and feeling and all of this kind of stuff and um, not condoning in any which way, but at least understanding where the thought process was. And so Why that's happened, something, right? yeah, like mm -hmm. that is something I really enjoyed when reading this book. Um, and I'm really glad I chose it. <laughs> Gregory, how did you first hear about it? Um, and what, a, and what compelled a, you to choose it for this series? Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jody Picot fan in general, because I like that she handles heavy topics and, and, and current topics. To be honest, though, I mean, this book's been out for about a dozen years now, right? So um, maybe a few more than that. I, so I, and I actually didn't read it because of the violence. Um, I do, t I do tend to to avoid violent content just in general. I, I mean, I think it's fine, right? The people write it. It's the journey we're on. Lord knows, there's a lot of violence in the world. Um, 
I don't like violent media just in general. Um, I, I don't like where it usually takes my brain. And um, so I, I, I didn't read it when it came out. And then when it came up on your list, um, I was sort of interested and, but I still didn't exactly commit to it, but I, but I did, I love Tanya. I'm a huge fan of Tanya Todd and I appreciate all she does in the, in our community. She's a, an amazing literary citizen. And, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to let you put me wherever you need me. So I, that was, so, and then this is where I ended up and, and, um, and I'm, and I'm glad I got, to, I mean, I had a reason then to read the book and I worked my way through the violence um, because it is about a school shooting. And so, so it is, it is incredibly emotionally violent um, even more than the physical gun firing i think it's an emotionally violent book um yeah. on a lot of levels and um and and i i liked that i felt empathy throughout the book um for characters that that you might not feel empathy for if you just read a news story about a real event um so she's because she's good at what she did jody Picot mm -hmm. is good at what she does um so um on so many levels so anyway so that's why i got here because of you of course um and uh, and i'm and i'm happy to be here well, it's no secret how much I love you, but I do find it interesting that this is two years in a row that you read a book that you would not ordinarily read because of the series. And I didn't do it to you on purpose. Like you right. read a graphic novel last year, which not your thing. Right. And now you've read a book about violence. So right. apologies and thank right. you. Well, and <laughs> Right. And last year, um, and I was on the panel for Genderqueer, um, which was on my radar as well. It's the most banned book right now um, in mm -hmm. the country. It's been the most banned book for a number of years. Um, and it's about the L LGBTQ community. And so it's a really important piece of literature, really, really, really important piece of literature. Um, and uh, and and yeah, but I'm not I'm not a comic book fan and it's a graphic novel. And so mm -hmm. it, it's those things are hard. They're hard for me, for my brain. to. But whatever. I, I like being challenged and taking the journey. And, you, you know, you asked the question earlier about reading books that that you don't find right in your own bubble or whatever mm -hmm. and so these books have been kind of on the edge of that the topics are interesting to me but they're outside of the scope of what i would normally nor normally read you know i also read about what, 70 80 books a year so um i consume a lot of content yeah yeah well i don't regret asking you to do these because i feel that you've added quite a bit to the conversations but i i am sorry for any discomfort no, no. I mean, it's I, I'm a big boy. I can handle it really in the end, you know. So now that you've read the book, what do you think made it polarizing to the point of being banned? And we'll start with Gregory here. Um, when I was reading, I couldn't I actually on some level, I couldn't figure out why it was banned. Um, I mean, I understand school shooting. That's what I thought of school shooting and bullying. That's what I thought was going to be. But then, of course, I did a little more research and it isn't. That isn't why it's been banned. Mm. It's been banned because of the one page sex scene. A graphic it is slightly graphic but it isn't it's very true to the characters it isn't right. and it and isn't it's not the focal point of the story at all <laughs> no and several of my novels have much more graphic sex in them so it didn't feel that graphic at all to me um and then i was shocked i'm like you'd think it'd be banned because of like the bullying thing or maybe seen being seen as a roadmap of what someone who's bullied could a way they could get even or you know i i expected some whole other reason and i did not do any research i took a tanya todd moment and I didn't do any research or learn anything about the book until after I read it. So yeah, I was, I said, so I was shocked. One parent said something about the sex scene and that started the banning right. of this book. One so parent. Frequently it's one parent or one person making these choices for an entire yeah. community. Yeah. Heather, when you read it, what were you thinking made it, made it something that would be on the radar for someone to ban it? It's certainly not the sex. I mean, that was so minor. 
I was like, I kind of forgot that even existed amongst the whole like scheme of the story. Um, I really thought it was just like gun violence and, and like a roadmap or anything like that. And I mean, even that, that's like no reason for it to be banned uh, by any means. But that's honestly what I thought. It was just like gun violence and, um, you know, the, just that nature. <laughs> what were your thoughts, Lisa? Well, I was familiar with why it was banned. Couple, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I followed Jody Picole on social media and probably full disclosure, closure, you know, she's a Princeton alum. I'm a Princeton alum, so I don't want anybody to say I've got some bias here. But she talks about the fact that that first set of bannings was about one parent who didn't mention violence, but her primary thing was sexual situations. Um, and I thought... Right. Because there's a lot of hint that the teenagers in the book are sexually active. Right. So early on, I thought, well, is it because they're hinting at this? And, um, you know, there's a don't know how many spoilers we want to get, but, you know, there's a lack of using a condom scare and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I didn't realize there was going to be the one page sex scene, which of course I thought I I write on the page sex as a romance author. Like I write sensual romance. So I'm like, that was it. Like, right. Like, (laughs) really? (laughs) Um, And some violence. But one of the things I will say is it's another example of, people making assumptions who don't do the full reading, right? So one parent says, this is a bad book. She says it about something that's really minor in the book. The other people don't read the book. They hear it's a book about school shooting and they're like, oh yeah, we can't let that be in the school. And they're not following the conversation. Half of them don't really know what the initial complaint was about. And most of the board members who agreed with her never read the book. And that's part of the danger of how these things happen in America. You don't have to read the book. You just have to complain about it. Right. That first banning too, the whole committee wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. Half the committee was, was not at the meeting. So it was sort of run rammed through. Yeah. Which may have been intentional. Maybe it may have been. And and I thought, and I also thought maybe that, I mean, the the boyfriend was abusive. And so I thought Mm -hmm. that might've been, a reason to ban the book, right? Because he's so harsh, right? But the boys get away with whatever they want, right? So, mm-hmm. um, well, in the end, he didn't, but yeah. <laughs> and I don't think we have to worry about spoilers, right? We're here to t- actually talk about the book. So, right. Yeah. You know, yeah, I know I am anti spoiler in general, but I do, you know, warn people before they, they listen to this. There will be spoilers in this conversation about yeah, this particular so, book. So read the book first. So if you haven't read it, stop <laughs> now. So read the book, come back. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> and so, Gregory, I want to tell you that you are, you were per- partially right. It just maybe hadn't happened yet because a committee in Beaufort County, South Carolina, has banned this book earlier this year because they decided that, well, one deciding member stated that she thought there were too many things in the book that could plant seeds, mm-hmm. the wrong yeah. seeds in a child that could really be struggling with things at home and in school. But separately in an article titled, What Florida Doesn't Want You to Know About Its Ban, its Book Bans, a response to the excessive banning of her books, Jody Picoult said, 
my books were removed because they were, according to the sole parent who made the challenge, adult romance that should be should not be on the bookshelves. And she also said it's worth noting that she doesn't write adult romance. The majority of the books were targeted that were targeted don't even have a kiss in them. What they do have, however, are issues like racism, abortion rights, gun control, gay rights, and other topics that encourage kids to think for themselves. Yeah. And she said that the book of hers that has been banned most frequently in the last six months, and this was earlier this year, I believe that she wrote this mm-hmm. article, is 19 Minutes, which is about a school shooting and the effects of bullying. However, the reason cited for its inappropriateness for kids is not the mention of violence, but rather a single page that depicts a date rape using anatomically correct words for the human body. What does it say about our world when keeping children safe means a book about school shootings is banned because it has a word for genitalia in it, but we don't regulate the guns that cause those real life shootings? Lisa, I'm like, as a romance writer and as someone who reads a vast amount of romance, both for pleasure and to study, whether it's closed door, I will say, because I don't like the term clean because I don't find sex dirty, Um, whether it's books without intimacy on the page to very explicit. There ain't nothing about Jodi Picoult's books that's a romance, people. Sorry. Adult or otherwise. These are not romance books. They're also not books that focus on sex. That was about an emotionally traumatic situation that we needed on the page to understand those characters. That was the point of it. One and three college females have been subjected to date rape. The numbers are pretty close for high school females. So for us not to allow our children to know this happens, to me is irresponsible because it's a risk factor. And it actually came up in my classroom at one time and a guy kind of joked it off, a girl talking about being afraid to walk to her car when she had to go down a, a dark stairwell by herself. And the guy started laughing about it. And I said, whoa, time, I stopped class. And we had to have this conversation to let him understand that as a male, it is your responsibility to take this seriously. Because if you are ever with a girl, a woman, whether she's your girlfriend, your friend, or just somebody that you happen to be hanging out at night, you need to walk her to her car because it's real. The threat is real. The fear is real. But the conversation came up based off of something that happened in the story we read. It wasn't date rape, but it made the girl think about a time when she was afraid and why. So imagine the kind of beneficial education conversations some teacher could have had in a classroom if this book had been allowed to be on that school shelf or they had been allowed to discuss it in the classroom. These are real subjects. These are real things our children, our young adults, people are facing, adult women face, quite honestly, right? So why would you ban a book when it's it's real stuff? Like you just don't, people don't wanna face reality in the United States. And it's unfortunate because that's what this is about. Let's hide the reality because 
I'm going to stop. I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Heather, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I'm sorry. What was your question? I was, I was definitely into like Lisa. Lisa, Well, I just explained exactly why the books were banned. And I'm asking what, what are your thoughts on this now that we hear the actual reasons? I mean, I've kind of already said it in the fact where it's like, obviously I did not think that that would be the main cause for that one page sex scene or anything like that. Um, I read a few romance novels. My mom's a big connoisseur of romance novels. So we share a Kindle. So once in a while something pops up and I was like, that looks interesting. Uh, (laughs) So I'll read along and all that kind of stuff, but um, it's not at all anything to be ashamed of. And, And the fact is, is like, it's like we said, it's, it's somebody has, somebody wants to control, you know, people's, their kids ways, ways of thoughts and ways of thinkings. I mean, I, I don't think I can say any, any other way than like Lisa said it. It's when you open the door to these types of conversations, stuff like that happens. And that was just, you know, a scene or a moment in a book. Right. And it actually led to the enlightening of, of men probably in that class who probably didn't think anything of it they learned a valuable lesson that has probably stuck with them and that was just out of like a page or two out of a book you know so it i mean the ripple effect is huge and i just don't understand why people just just want to censor so much and and not have these types of discussions and these types of thoughts because the thing is is like even if it was a parent, if it was a mom or whatever, or even a dad of whatnot, it's not just this sex scene. There, I mean, there's so much to be learned in all of these books in general. And it's not just about sex and it's not just about violence, but it's what you make it, right? It's what you're trying to teach someone. So if you see violence in this and you're like, oh, I don't want to have you know any more violence. Well, how much other violent stuff are they consuming? Instead of just leaning into that, how about we have a conversation about it? How about we have a conversation about bullying? How about we have a conversation about consent? How about we, like, again, soapbox, but it's like, this is just a conversation starter. And a lot of times I get it. It's like people don't have the answers. And what I've learned to a lot of times when it comes to parents and their kids is, you know, they don't necessarily have the answer, quote unquote, like what kids expect their parents to have a yes Mm -hmm. or no black or white answer. And then the parents don't know how to articulate the gray areas that life presents. Anything to add to that, Gregory? I'm right with it. I think it's, I think this is all about the conversation and and the fear of having a conversation. Um, You know, if we were having a more honest, healthy conversation with young people about sex, which which was tried for a while and now is being pushed back against like so many other things, um, it'd be different. And I, I think the idea of seeing yourself on the page comes up here because that's exactly what we're talking about on some level, right? A, a young woman seeing, reading the scene and seeing what is a date rape and having a moment of either something to look out for or a realization of me too, Um, right? The bullying, all the characters who are bullied and how they're bullied and all the characters who are bullies and how they bully, um, right? That's just an opportunity for kids to see themselves on the page um, and to have a conversation or start a conversation about that portrayal, um, potentially. Um, So, yeah, I... 
Well, Picoult also stated that in the years since she wrote 19 Minutes, she's received thousands of emails from bullied kids. And she said some who said the book was the reason they decided not to bring a gun to school. Some who said the book was the reason they didn't attempt suicide. Reading my novel didn't harm them. In fact, it made them realize they were not alone in their thoughts and feelings. The most common sentence in letters I receive from readers is, I never really thought about this issue before. This is what books do. Heather, what was your emotional response to this book? Empathy, compassion, understanding. I definitely, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This book, because I normally don't like to read super heavy novels or, or books and stories. All I did uh I like to do it for fun I like my easy reads I like to like disappear into a different land kind of a thing but this one um gosh it, it definitely like there were there were instances that it made me have to put down the book for a second and just kind of think about people and my own experiences and all that kind of stuff um and just how sad like I felt for the parents so bad Gosh, I mean, I, I can't even, my sister, it has a kid who's going into high school and we do worry about him to some degree, not in this state, not in this, you know, type of circumstance, but you know, any kid that's going to go to a high school, a different, you know, different people that he's known, you know, you're being put into these different environments and it's worrying as a parent. Like I, I talked to her about it. So it's like, I really, really felt for the parents journey I mean I felt for all the characters journeys it, it, and that's why it's like I, I think she just did a fantastic job of really putting me in the mindset and understanding the thought processes behind every decision behind what they were feeling and why they were feeling it without even actually like just telling me it was more of an experience how about you Gregory what was your emotional reader response um well, I found myself um, backing out at times and looking at the writing. As a writer, we do that, right? It's mm -hmm. it, it, the construction is of character construction in this novel is really, really rather remarkable. And and I I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but but I felt great empathy for the shooter, um, which I think is a remarkable thing to do to to take someone who who commits a horrific act and in the process of exploring their journey finding the empathy, right? And I mean, I was a bullied kid and um, called queer and faggot and all kinds of horrible things when I was young, um, before I even understood what any of those words meant, just that they were derogatory, right? Not even connected to sexuality, it was pre-pubescent even, um, and not fitting in and being on the outside. And, and, and I, you can, I could see the, the journey of this bullied character um, and that and the, they made very different choices than I have in my life, but, but, but still being able to see that um, and I actually had a moment, and I don't know exactly where in the book, but but about two thirds of the way through, maybe, where the lawyer's working with the, the shooter, and there's this brief twinkle that he might get him off, and and that bothered me too because like I started thinking, what kind of message would that send if you if you mm -hmm. if a kid committed such a horrific act and got off him, and we see people around us in the media getting off all the time for horrific acts, right? So so it is a conversation, it is part of the journey. And um, and the fact that the kid doesn't get off in the end um, it, it made me feel a little better about that that part of the journey. Um, but, I, but I found myself also caring for some of the bullies. I found myself really caring for the parents 
um, and the idea of how parallel their lives were for different reasons. And so Jody did a very nice, like I know her, um, she did a very nice job um, um, creating that parallel construction of those two moms right from the beginning. And, and, um, and, and while there are some flaws in the storytelling, I think overall, um, I like the way it unfolded. And, and, and so I felt a lot of empathy. And in the end, I, I did feel a bit of terror um, when, the, when the, um, the detective finds the shooter in the, in the locker room in that, that early part of the book. Um, and, and, and that moment I was terror filled, right? It was just, it was ter terrifying on so many different levels. Um, but, but I was relieved that, that we didn't get all the shooting details until the end of the novel, mm -hmm. because by then I already knew all these characters so well that I was in, and, and had sort of been a little bit desensitized actually to the violence because it, they had been talking around it for hundreds of pages. Um, so then when we actually got to the scenes um, and the description of those scenes, I was a little better emotionally equipped to kind of take, take in the, the violence. So I appreciated that. And I know that that's a construction choice, right? That was an author, the way she constructed the novel, that was the way, way she chose to do that, right? It has a bit of that um, courtroom dynamic big reveal at the end, of course, but, but, but still, right. So I was pretty obvious. Early. <laughs> yeah. So I took this journey, you know what I mean? And it was a roller, it was truly a roller coaster of emotions, you know, and I actually had an opportunity because I listened to two thirds of this novel, the last two thirds of the novel um, while I was driving um, in a 12 hour road trip. So I actually got to listen to a big chunk of the novel nonstop which I think in storytelling also makes a big difference yeah. because you don't take a break and get involved in your life and make dinner and then go back into it. Right. So you get the whole thing. And it was, it was, there were some levels of that that were exhausting um, too emotionally, but anyway. How about you, Lisa? What was your emotional reaction? You know, I, I think like Gregory, there were times where I got into the writing and I actually did it early on because initially um because I've been reading stories that progress linearly for a while and have limited primary characters. Um, this show me somebody. Now we're going to go show me somebody else. Now you're going to go show me somebody else. Now you go. I had a hard time following that. I had to like get myself mentally prepared to stay in the story because every time she jumped to a different character, I was like, okay, I need a break. Right. Cause now we're going someplace else. But once I got immersed in those characters, I I just like the subtlety with which there are so many layers of emotion and so many layers of complicated actions in this because early on I cringed when, and it's only like first, second chapter, maybe second chapter, there's a scene where... Josie hasn't eaten all day and she grabs, she's got a plate of French fries and she's really looking forward to having those French fries. And then her boyfriend says something snide to her about, are you going to eat those fries or something? Right. And makes her feel bad about the fries. So mm -hmm. she doesn't want them. So he grabs a handful and gives the rest to his buddy. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is not a good relationship. So early on, I'm already seeing the layers and the subtlety here. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm right and she kept having all these issues so I'm like 
okay, she's holding something back. I didn't expect what she was holding back to be what she was holding back, but I knew there was some dynamic there that was going on. And so once she did that to me, when she did it to me again, I would notice. So like the moments where the parents of the shooter, where the father was having a really hard time dealing with being the father of a man whose son had killed all these other people, because it's something I often thought about when you see school shootings and they interview the parent and they're trying to hold it together. And I'm thinking, oh my God, get that microphone out of that woman's face or that, like how they're trying to do, like as a parent, I'm thinking, how do you deal with your fact that your kid is the one who just killed a whole bunch of other children? And in this book, she gives you a chance to get behind that. And there's something it, it's great intellectual to experience, but there's something offsetting about it emotionally to actually have a front row seat to that because we've all watched about the aftermath of school shootings. Like United States, that's what we do. We have these school shootings all the freaking time and, you know, politicians don't seem to care, right? But we sat in front of the TV listening to these interviews of the kids who survived or the parents who survived. And she gave us a look behind those emotions that we often can't get in those news snippets. And it was just a little, like, you, you, you I think, like Heather said, so there were times where I kind of had to put the book down, right? And be like, woo, that's kind of heavy, right? Which is why I don't always pick up a Jodi Picoult book, but I love <laughs> what I do. But yeah, it, it's, it's subtle, but it's beautifully done. I think it's beautifully done. So we are nearing the end of our conversation. Gregory. What do you see as the reasons people should read 19 Minutes? I, I do. I think it's about that idea of seeing behind the scenes, the idea of seeing what's going on with the characters. It isn't about the news moment, right? It is about the different thoughts and the different ideas of this cast of characters. And it is a very big cast of characters. Um, I we get into some of the psychology of school shooting, but really this is about individuals um, and, and this moment in time for them um, and where they go. And because we're seeing our more school shootings than we were when this book came out, um, I don't think every school shooting is exactly motivated in the same way, of course. Um, but I think the idea of um, seeing the world through a different lens, potentially through the lens of all these different characters um, and seeing how the facts play differently for different characters and the power of that. I think that's that's one of the one of the moments of this book that's worthwhile. Um, that construction of character and getting to see how different people review and react to a set of events. How about you, Heather? What are the lessons that can be learned or conversations that can be started from reading this book? I think this is a great conversation starter on so many prevalent issues. In, in today's culture, in today's youth, um, I think this is a way to open doors to probably having some of the toughest conversations, whether it's, you know, date rape, whether it is bullying, whether it is, you know, thoughts of suicide, um, you know, not fitting in, all of that kind of stuff, because I think, you know, I think... It, we run into stuff like this as adults, but the thing is, is some of us hopefully have 
learn some coping mechanisms. And so that's why I really worry about the youth and why I almost feel like this could be a book that's the most beneficial in that in that area because it gives them an excuse to talk about the things that maybe they're already thinking about. Lisa. I like, um, I have the book club edition of the book and in the back there's an interview with Jodi Picoult and she talks about how when she came up with this concept and first started doing the research and studying these issues more in depth, how it occurred to her that even adults are still in some of these bullying situations. Like we don't call it bullying, but adults are having these um, dysfunctional interactions on this level. And I think Heather's right that we've learned coping mechanisms and we deal with it different. So for me, 19 minutes is a chance to go read a book that's about a school shooting and possibly the trial. And as a lawyer, I love books about trials. So I, I, I love that aspect. But I did cringe when I thought he was going to get involved. But I thought it, it was a great way to try to get involved. But relationships, we talk about books a lot. And characters and characterization, it's about people being able to relate to those characters and get something out of those characters. And I think people need to read this book because it's not just about high school students. It's not just about the school shooting. It's about how human we are, are, even when we think we're at our best moments, how you can't be the perfect mom and the perfect professional, no matter what you do to raise your kids, sometimes they're going to do something on their own, right? It's all about that human nature. And for I, I love the discussion of all the humanality we can find in this book, but it also gives us a background to think about school shootings. Like she talked about bullying and school shootings, and we need to not shy away from school shootings and I love that she talked about the PTSD from battered woman syndrome in this book and that they try to apply it to this situation because often we hear mental health. It's not the, it's not the guns, it's mental health. It's not the guns, it's mental health. But if you read this book and really get behind it, there were a whole lot of things that happened to this kid, to the people around him, to Josie, that we wouldn't traditionally call mental health. We can't just go mental health, mental health. You know, there's no, you know, action without reaction. Mm -hmm. And this gives us a chance to look at what are the levels that build up to this? How do we see them? What can we do about them? And quit hiding behind mental health as the reason for school shootings when there's a whole lot more involved than that. Well, that is an excellent place to end this. Lisa, tell everyone where people can find you and support your work? Um, my website is lisarain.com. On there, you'll find my books. And um, I did take a little curve and do something different by giving the romance industry its first Black Highlander uh, in Never Cross a Highlander, set in the 1600s. Uh, I also have recently started the Scribal Business Coaching Program for authors, which is turning authors into savvy entrepreneurs. So it's about teaching authors how to do the business side so that they can have a sustainable long-term career. 
Um, and you can find that group on Facebook. Just look for facebook.com slash groups slash scribal, S-C-R-I-B-A-L. Gregory. Um, my website, gregoryacompass.com or even compass.com. They both go there, K-O-M-P-E-S. Um, my books are there. My latest book, it'll be backward, right? My latest book, Obsequies, um, just came out, uh, which is part of a, the Broadway series, although it stands alone, of course. Um, and there's information there about uh, the other things I do, including the, the writer workshop. And the audiobook just came out too, right? Yeah, the audiobook just came out uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. And people love the narrator. So I'm very pleased with how it turned out. Do you want to plug your appearance at AWP? Um, well, that's not till February. Yeah, um, I'll be at, I don't even know that, I don't know the name. I, I don't it's know the February name of the, 7th. the February 7th. And, <laughs> and I'm on a panel with Tanya Todd and a few other uh, writers talking about um, queer identity within books. Um, mm -hmm. Looking forward to that uh, very much. I'll be an excellent company there. <laughs> it's my Heather. first time going to AWP, so I'm very excited. Oh, very cool. I'm glad to bring you. <laughs> Heather, where can people find you and support your work? Um, you can find me on all the socials at So She Slays. And then you can also find us um, at SoSheSlays.com. Um, you can find us on all the podcast platforms that stream uh, for the So She Slays podcast and our newly edition, uh, the so she, so she Slays Presents the Hangover. So, Excellent. Thank you all for your amazing input today. This was a wonderful conversation. If you enjoyed this conversation, you liked what you heard, please like, comment, share. Thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for reading. <laughs>